0: Welcome to the Piggy Bank Chronicles, a podcast about money, investing, and bringing home the bacon. Good morning everyone. It's June 17th, 2023 and welcome to episode 24 of the Piggy Bank Chronicles. What have I learned from blank? Today I thought it might be fun to do something a little different. I thought we would try a thought experiment and the purpose of this thought experiment is for you to understand how to do it by listening to me do it myself and then for you to sit down and do it on your own you can you can do it at the same time as you're listening to me if i'm boring you you can do it later it's just something that you should give a try so the thought experiment is pretty simple it's it's ask yourself who is the wealthiest person you have ever interacted with not just met but actually spent some time with and spoke with and got to know a little bit better. So this one is interesting because I want to be clear up front that my goal here is specifically not to glorify the accumulation of money. That's not what this is about. It's it's about asking yourself some honest questions about who was this person? What were they like? What do you think helped them get where they were in life, and, and most importantly of all, what if anything did you learn when you met that person? Was he or she um, open? Were they closed? Were they focused? Were they casual? Were they a polished presentation of who they were? What were they like? What were they about? What was, what was it like to interact with them? What did they make you feel like? Did you feel like they took the time to make sure that the impression they gave you was the one that they wanted to give you or were they just being sincerely themselves and not really thinking about how they impacted the world? Something to put a pin in is this concept of wealth because wealth in the context that we tend to use it on this podcast is about the accumulation of financial resources to live the lifestyle you want to live. But i remember my grandfather years ago said if a man has his health he's a wealthy man and I, I think my grandfather was very much right so when we define wealth it can be it can be a, a blessings of great relationships of, of good health of great opportunity of wonderful place to live and be there's a, there's a lot of things that go into making our lives prosperous and making us feel wealthy but in the context of this thought experiment, we're going to talk about financially wealthy people, just to be concise. So I had to think for a minute before I could do this. I'm like, well, I've, I've had a long career, longer than I'm going to share with you guys. And I've met some fairly wealthy people along the way, um, at least by my standards, probably not my wealthy people standards. And so I sat there and I tried to make a list and I came up with four guys, actually uh Three guys and a gal that I'll talk about uh, real quickly and kind of at the end, I'll share with you what I think I learned from each of these people and getting to know them. The first one, you may recognize the name. Uh, It was Barbara Bush, the wife of President George H.W. Bush. Um, I won't go into the circumstances where I got to meet Barbara, but it was at a function where um, I was able to go up and greet her and shake her hand and then get to hear her speak uh, about the topic at hand. And that was kind of exciting and interesting to meet her and listen to her. But it was only later when I got a hold of uh, Barbara's uh, book, uh, Barbara Bush, a memoir, and read that, that I got more of a sense of, and I say read, I listened to it on on a, like Audible, but I got more of a sense of what Barbara was like. And, and it was really interesting because you don't get to... Know a person unless you can really hear their story in their own words, because it's one thing to see the public life they lead, but it's another thing to hear them describe that public life from their perspective and what what it meant to them and what it felt like and why they were the way they were. So, um, just if you're keeping tally on wealth, I think Barbara and George both passed away around 2018. At the time of their passing, I think each of them had a net worth of about 25 million apiece. So, not Tremendously wealthy, and Barbara and George were going to be much more famous people than they are wealthy. But I—I'll I, tell you something. I think I learned from her um, at the end of the podcast. The next person might be somebody you probably don't know. Um, in fact, the next three people you probably won't know. Um, the next one is a fellow by the name of Thomas Mendoza. Thomas is the former president and vice chairman of the NetApp company. And if you are a a tech nerd, you will recognize NetApp as the people that made the storage arrays, the network-attached storage arrays that became so popular uh, and and grew to a great deal of success. Thomas, as of 2021, according to wallmine.com, his net worth was $34.8 million. And And I met Thomas at a a company function off-site. Uh, we were hosting an off-site, and he was one of the speakers that came. And it was really interesting because he's a very unassuming guy. But when he stepped up onto the stage and sort of leaned on the podium from the right side and started presenting, it was clear that this was not his first rodeo. And so um, it was kind of funny, though, because, you know, you get to see this sort of public persona of the man, the way he presented the content that he was sharing with us. And then later that day, in fact, that evening, um, I'm coming down to go to dinner with a group of colleagues, and I see Thomas sort of sitting alone at the bar. And and although I didn't go up and approach him and talk to him, it struck me that there is a there is a human side to these people that we meet, right? There's this sort of you know, bombastic, uh, outspoken, uh, really witty sort of persona that you see as he's presenting. And then there's this this kind of um, quiet, almost lonely figure who is just sort of not really reading, just kind of looking around and looking kind of, I I don't know. I I can't, I don't want to spouse emotions to someone who I don't know well, but sort of looking kind of lonely or um, just like, yeah tired. And it kind of struck me in that moment that, you know, that's, uh, there are a lot of different sides to these people that we meet. And, and I thought that was interesting. The next guy, again, probably someone you will not know. Um, his name is Dan Vogel. Dan is a Frenchman born in France. Dan was the chief executive officer of the enable on company. Um, at the time uh, of the sale of the company to a larger competitor he and his two partners in crime philippe tesler and his brother mark vogel um, all had equal shares in what was about 192 million dollar take approximately on the sale of the company so i according to blog.insearch.com and some information that i found We'll say Dan pocketed you know, gross about $64 million from the sale of his company. Uh, I got to meet Dan um, not so long before that, maybe two or three years earlier. We were at a, um, a dinner in Chicago and one of the sales reps said, hey, I want you to come over here and sit next to Dan. And so he and I sat down and had dinner and we got to talking and, and his story was very interesting and not being a shy person by nature, I really wanted to take the opportunity to ask him about his past and ask him about how he and Mark and Philippe, Philippe had come to found the company, uh, what drove them, what their thought processes were. And it was a really interesting conversation. Dan talked about you know, his earliest memory of being an entrepreneur, being something that they had created on software and were selling on floppy disks when he was 15 years old. So very much in the mindset of building a company from a very early age. So he always had it in his head that he wanted to be out there, you know, striving and achieving on his own, that that his path was not going to be the path of an employee of a company. It was going to be the path of a founder of a company, a very different mindset. And it was, it was a neat conversation because um, it's rare that you get to sit down with an acting CEO of a fairly large company. This was a software company. It still is the product still sold today, but it's owned by another company. Um, and he, he was very open. He was very calm. He was very direct and he was, he was, uh, quite interesting to talk to because you could tell, um, he got more excited or he got more interested in that idea of, of creation and entrepreneurialism. And that was really seemed to be where he would light up more than any other part of the conversation. Um, so that's Dan. That's the third third guy, Dan Vogel. So we talked about Barbara Bush. We talked about Thomas Mendoza. We talked about Dan Vogel. And now the fourth person, also probably somebody you don't know, uh, unless you're working in the software space in certain industries. But A fellow by the name of Dr. J. Patrick Kennedy, or Pat, as I think people refer to him. Um, Pat founded OSI Software in 1980. Pat went on to sell OSI Soft for $5 billion um, later on. It was probably in the last five years that sales taken place. Um, I'm going to say that uh, Pat's family were um, held just over fifty percent of the company when it sold. So he and his relatives, who were attached to the company, would have taken home uh, roughly two and a half billion dollars in assets. Pat's got uh, six hundred million in stock and four point four billion in cash. And the six hundred million in stock made Dr. Pat Kennedy the acquiring company, which is named Aviva their largest private shareholder with 4.4% of the company. So Pat for a long time just was content to run his own company. As he approached retirement, he needed to find a new shepherd, a new caretaker for his company. And so he eventually decided that Aviva, which was more in the like manufacturing space in terms of software was a good, good sort of match and a good uh, sort of, Company to shepherd his baby into the future. Um, according to bloginresearch.com, that's where these numbers came from, uh, the UK based company Aviva purchased it. And so in 2020, Pat at that point became the wealthiest person I've ever personally gotten to meet. But I met Pat probably years before that um, at OSIsoft's headquarters in California. I was there on a company function with a number of other folks from my company, and we were going in for a day of presentations from OSIsoft on their technologies. And I walked into the coffee bar and was sort of, it was earlier in the morning. I think all, all of my colleagues and some of our, our hosts were out in the conference room milling about, and I'm scrounging around in the coffee bar looking for you know, what, what's a good-looking breakfast from the spread that was out there? And there were only two gentlemen in there with me, uh, two older gentlemen who were sitting there and having breakfast. And one of the gentlemen starts to directing me. He says, you really want to try the oatmeal, and if you put the nuts and the raisins in, it's going to be a real treat. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a go. So I, I got my oatmeal, and I sat down, and I got to kind of listen to these fellows talk and visit with them. And it was a very nonchalant conversation Um, we were just kind of chatting about the day and the weather and that type of thing so after breakfast I say thanks head out uh, go scrounge a seat somewhere towards the front of the table because I'm not as good at seeing a distance as I want to be sometimes (laughs) and I want to be up close to the the projector so I can see what's being presented And, and the gentleman I had been speaking with comes and sits next to me at the end of the table and I didn't think anything of it until everybody else started sitting down I realized wait a minute who's this guy why is is he like is he like the head of the delegation we're meeting here and we start to go around the table doing introductions moving from the opposite side of the table around where this gentleman's sitting to me and it gets to the gentleman on my right and of course it's Pat the the CEO and founder of the company and he he tells a brief story and you could tell it was a polished story it's like oh, I've told this story before he gets through it in about you know, three to five minutes and then I come up and I'm like well I sat in the worst chair in the room I get a laugh and then explain who I am and that it's terrible when you have to introduce yourself after you you know yep going after the founder and CEO of the company but um. It was interesting because um, listening to Pat's spiel, his polished spiel, was clearly a different experience from talking to Pat over breakfast, eating oatmeal, right? It was, it was, he, was, he, was, he was able to shift gears. He was able to be um, sort of a... He had a very particular kind of homespun, easygoing approach to how he talked. Um, in fact, it was interesting because the way he spoke in the conference room... He seemed less nervous about that than sort of calling out to someone who he didn't know, like me, and saying, "Hey, you might want to try this for breakfast." I'm, I'm a big observer of social cues, and and I think it was it was a reinforcement of the fact that we 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 can we can have this idea of what we want to present to the world, but we can also polish that idea really well. And I think Pat had done that. He had really gotten comfortable with how he wanted to represent himself professionally in ways that maybe transcended other aspects of engagements in his life. I, I'm hypothesizing that from only two times being next to him, but it's just a thought. So, so, so what did I learn from all these interactions? These, these, these silly stories of meeting slightly wealthy people, but not wealthy by tremendous means. Although Pat's quite wealthy, I think. Um, well from Pat, if I may call him Pat, Dr. Kennedy, I learned something really interesting. I learned that you need to recognize opportunities. Because in Pat's polished story, he said early on in his career, he was going to these industrial facilities and he was doing this work and he was setting it up and delivering the results to his clients and he would leave. And his clients regularly asked him, hey, what's that little tool you're using to, you know, report the data and he's like oh it's just something we built. It's like, "Well, can we buy that from you? Can we have it? Can we use it?" And so after that happened more than once, Pat started to go, "Hey, I think there's something here. I think there's something to this. This seems to be a real need because every time I bring out my little tool and I start recording the data and playing it back, people are interested in it." So That was the beginning of what became the PI database for OSIsoft, which is a time series database, a a data historian, if you will. And that product is what launched OSIsoft to probably one of the largest privately held software companies or closely held software companies um, that I've ever encountered. And... So being able to recognize in that moment that that what he was doing was unique and interesting and was actually going to go somewhere, and then leaning into that and taking advantage of it is kind of what I learned from listening to Pat. What I learned from listening to Dan was that, you know, you need to have an entrepreneur's mindset. If if you want to do something outsized and different, if you want to create things that make the world a better place, you have to have an entrepreneur's mindset. That's a James Dysonism, by the way. If you anyone out there has ever not listened to the Founders podcast, you should go give Founders a listen. Founders is a podcast whereby the, the host reads and talks about autobiographies of lots of different people, typically people who found companies. And James Dyson is probably one of the ones that the the post is most excited about because Dyson was a founder he was a relentless drive to make things better to create things that make the world better and Dan had sort of that similar vibe to him he's like he wants to be a creator he wants to take the world as it is and turn it into a better place when he's done and, and you have to have a, a durable entrepreneur's mindset to be able to succeed on scale with that kind of attitude from Thomas Mendoza, I learned something pretty straightforward. Speaking is an art. Trust me, if you're listening to this podcast, you know I don't do very well sometimes. And speaking is a genuine art. But it is it is important. If, if, if your career is to be an entrepreneur, if your career is to be an employee, the ability to present your ideas, your thoughts, your visions, your intent clearly and concisely and to communicate with a passion that inspires others to action is not an accident it is a practiced art form and if you practice that one thing it will add more to your career than anything else you can do i can tell you if you weigh me against my wife i would hire my wife over me any day she is Quicker witted, she's a better problem solver. She's a tr- relentless worker. She's uh, tenacious at at getting to a solution. But between us, I'm more outspoken. I'm more aggressive. I'm more um, socially connected. I'm more. I have a higher emotional quotient than she does. And so. Our career trajectories have been similar but mine has been propelled by some ability i'm not completely incompetent but also i think a high emotional quotient whereas her career was propelled almost largely on raw talent and there's an old adage that talent will only take you so far so i learned from thomas watching him transform who he was off the podium to who he was on the podium that speaking is an art and it can be practiced and it can be learned and you can get better at it and from Barbara Bush I guess I learned something that we all should learn is that you have to do the right thing you have to be true to your principles Barbara in her autobiography in her speech was very forthright about intent why we're doing what we're doing and why we believe it's the right thing to do. And that, that sort of character, that intent, that principle is something that you will see in a lot of folks in the public eye, um, but not as often these days as you might have seen in, in years gone by, because we live in the instant culture, the pop culture, the, the, the social media wave that we're in, and every, every, everybody's famous for 15 minutes and then we move on. The idea of being intentional irrespective of what it's going to do to your public persona to your life is is really hard but you have to be true to your principles you have to do the right thing in all circumstances it's difficult but it's important so those are the wealthiest people i've met and those are the takeaways that i found when i sat down and really thought about the experience that i had meeting them and talking to them and and in one case reading her autobiography Who are the wealthiest people you've ever met? They don't have to be super wealthy. Who are the most successful people you've ever met? What, if anything, positive or negative, have you learned from them? Because I didn't talk about other folks on my list, but there are folks that came to mind that maybe I didn't learn positive things from. I I set them aside. I don't want to talk about negative stuff, but at the same time, you have to be mindful that If you meet someone and they're not aligned with you, if their motivations if their goals are things that don't line up with your principles, then you may appreciate them being who they are, but you need to reject absorbing those ideas. If they're going to change you in a way that you feel like is wrong. Well, that's it. That's my thought experiment. What have I learned from blank as in fill in the blank? What have you learned from like, why don't you guys take some time, think about it and see if you can do the thought experiment is helpful for you. And thanks for hanging out with me. (laughs) I look forward to talking to you guys next week. And I'm really hoping that Don will be back. We've got a really fun episode lined up in the can for when he's available. So look forward to seeing you guys soon. Take care. Bye. This podcast is not financial advice. We are not financial advisors and content is for entertainment and educational purposes only. You should do your own research or consult a professional investment advisor before making any investment decisions. And as always, thanks for listening to the Piggy Bank Chronicles.